0: Good morning good to see all of you this morning Isaiah 27 this morning Isaiah chapter 27 as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah looking at where do God's people stand in a world of shifting sand and God wants his people in all generations to have hope that's why he gives us his word And even last week, we saw where God was giving his people hope by saying, look, a child is going to be born, a son is going to be given, and his name is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And when he comes one day, he's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to rule on his Uh, Father David's throne and his kingdom will be a kingdom that never ends. It will be a forever kingdom. And God wanted his people to have hope and stability and strength and surety in, in being reminded and looking towards that day. God wants to do the same thing here in Isaiah 27 with his people. He wants to remind all of us that he is the God who can bring about great reversals in our life. Great reversals. He is the God who can reverse fortunes like no one or nothing else can. And you and I have experienced some of his past reversals. We're getting ready to experience some future reversals. But he also wants us to know that even in the present, God can bring about great reversals in our life, and he wants us to have hope in a God like that. In Isaiah 27, there's a phrase that is repeated throughout the chapter. You'll notice beginning in chapter 27, verse 1, he says, at that time, pointing the people of God to a time to come. Verse 2, when that time comes. Verse 6, the time is coming. And finally, in verse 12, at that time. God is saying to his people, I know you've been a disobedient people. You've been a people who have walked away from me. You are a people who are going into exile, not because I'm angry with you, but because... I want to purify you and draw you back to me. It's not a punitive thing. It's a corrective thing. And God even said through the prophet Jeremiah to his people, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah 29, 11. And that word from God to his people is something that God not only wants his people to, to know back then, but something he wants his people to know right here and now. I have plans for you. Do you believe that today? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And that's why God used this phrase spoken through the prophet Isaiah to his people. Even in that day, there's coming a day where a great reversal is coming. In fact, look at verse six for just a moment. This will sort of summarize the chapter. God says through the prophet Isaiah to his people the time is coming when Jacob will take root. They will plant themselves in God once and for all like never before. And Israel, as a nation, will blossom and grow branches. The produce will fill the surface of the world. Restored Israel will lead to the blessing of the whole world. That's the future for Israel. I mean, think about it. The nation that, down through history, has never embraced Jesus Christ as their Messiah— But the Bible promises that one day, as a nation, they will turn to Jesus as their Messiah and they will embrace him. And it will be like nothing we could ever imagine when the people of God from Abraham finally see that Jesus was their Messiah and they embrace him. You've ever been around even today a, a Jewish person of Jewish descent who embraces Jesus as their Messiah they're on fire they they when they their eyes are open to Jesus as their Messiah there's nothing like it and the bible says that day is coming and think about it this was a nation that was dead That's why I love that prophecy in Ezekiel about the dry bones and how God literally is going to resurrect a nation from nothing, which we have seen in our lifetime. We have seen the nation of Israel established in one day in 1947. And now we see God beginning to regather his people back to the nation of Israel. And this is all in preparation for this day that is coming when one day they will look at the one that they have pierced, the one that they said, crucify, crucify, and they will embrace him as their Savior. That is the hope of that great reversal that's coming. But for every one of us here who are Gentiles or Jews, if you're here today and there was a time in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've already known a God of great reversals, Right? Because Paul said to the Ephesians that you know that at one time all of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's as hopeless and low as any human being can go. And yet Paul says in that very same passage, those of you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he's made alive together with him through Jesus Christ. And not only that, he says, oh, and by the way, he has seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. We have went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs through our God. That's the God that we know. And that's the God that wants to speak into our lives today. There's another great reversal that's coming We know that if that grace reversal took place in our past that we can trust God for great reversals in our life today because we also look forward in hope and that's why we can stand in stability and strength and surety and settledness now because we know another great reversal is coming for us. Let me remind all of us of the story of the rich man and Lazarus from Luke chapter 16 that Jesus talks about. He says there were these two men that lived their lives on earth. There was this rich man who lived sumptuously and and gloriously all through his life but had no time for God. And there was this very poor, destitute man named Lazarus who had nothing that this world had to ever offer him. He was a beggar almost his whole entire life, but one day death came for both of these men. And Jesus says, Lazarus, He opened up his eyes, and he was in glory. He was in heaven. And the rich man opened up his eyes, and he was in hell. And Jesus, as he's telling the story, says that God allowed this rich man to have a very unusual communication. That Abraham, he was able to get in touch with Abraham and have a conversation with Abraham. Normally that doesn't happen, right? And as he's having this conversation, he's talking to Abraham about his plight and uh, about concern for his family who's still alive and all of that. And and he's trying to make things different. And Abraham says these words to the rich man. He says, oh, in your life, you had it good. And, And Lazarus had nothing. But then he says, but now... Now he's in glory and he's comforted, and you're in torment and anguish. Great reversal. Great reversal. Paul talks about this great reversal in 1 Corinthians to us as Christians. He says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when we hear that last trumpet sound, this corruptible is gonna put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality and God is going to take this, you know, old body, this, this body of flesh, and he's going to enrobe us with an eternal body that's never going to wear out and never going to ever die or get sick or anything again. That one day the great reversal is coming where in the book of Revelation it says God's going to wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death and no more mourning, no more sickness, and all of that is going to be gone one day, the God of great reversals. Is that who you're standing on today? Is that where your stability and security and surety and settledness is found And the God that you know brought about a great reversal in your life one day when you accepted Christ as your Savior, and a God that you look forward to the great reversal that's coming one day for you, but also a God that even in your present can bring about a great reversal. Because no one can change our fortunes like God can. No one can take us, like Nicole was talking about, from fear to faith like God. No one can take away our fears like God can and set us on a different path. Are you open to the God of great reversals today in your life? I want to go down through this chapter for just a few moments and and show how the things that God was talking about that will come one day for Israel and the people of God there can come to us today as well. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 27. God says, at that time, a time in the future for Israel, the Lord will come and he will punish with destructive, great, and a powerful sword. The book of Revelation talks about the great sword, the, the word of God that will come out of the mouth of Jesus as he judges the nations. Leviathan, this fast moving serpent or dragon leviathan this squirming serpent he will kill he will destroy the sea monster what's god talking about there why is he talking about this this leviathan this this beast, if you will, that the Bible mentions at times. Because Leviathan stands for things that are chaotic, things that are disorderly, uh, evil and wickedness. It seems to be running rampant. And and it also symbolizes even our great enemy, the, the dragon that the book of Revelation talks about referring to Satan. And we see there the serpent that takes us even back to Genesis where Satan first showed up whether it's your greatest enemy or whatever it is, God is promising his people that one day he will take away all the monsters in our lives. (laughs) He's saying, Israel, one day the, the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Babylonians will all be taken care of for all time. One day, you know, your great spiritual enemies that you don't even recognize or acknowledge right now, they will be done away with. I will destroy them one day because God's power is greater than any monster, any leviathan, any dragon, any serpent that you and I will ever face. Do we believe that today? I don't know what monsters you're facing in your life right now. But I know this, God's power is greater than that monster. God can give you a reversal of fortunes and take that monster and reduce that monster to nothing. He can take that giant and he can defeat that giant in your life. That's what God was trying to get the people of Israel to see. Not just in the future, but even now, I can do something about that monster. That's why God says to his people in his word, he says, look, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We don't need to be afraid of even the greatest monster in our life, that slithering, squirming serpent that oppresses us and challenges us and attacks us that through our Lord Jesus Christ, that monster can be defeated over and over, and we can have victory over that monster through God. That's the reversal. He's already disarmed principalities and powers, Paul tells the Colossians. He's, He's pulled the plug on their power over us. We don't have to give in to those monsters and those serpents and those dragons anymore in our life. God has reversed it all. God wants us to believe that so that we can stand stable and sure and secure today. We don't have to fear the monsters in our life. We also can stand secure and sure and stable not only by trusting God to take care of our monsters, but by trusting God to take care of us. Notice what he says in verse 2. And three, when that time comes, sing about a delightful vineyard. God is using the allegory of the vineyard that he picks up from chapter 5 of Isaiah to describe his care for his people. Notice what God says. I, the Lord, protect my people. I watch over my people. I look out for my people. I maintain my vineyard. Then God says, verse 3, I water it regularly or consistently. I irrigate it. I provide for it. It's never without what it needs to flourish. And then I guard it. I protect it and I preserve it night and day. God literally surrounds his people, guarding us, protecting us, he provides for us. No one provides for us like, like God does. He, in fact, gave us a living water that exists within us that literally bubbles up every day, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within our lives. He gives us living bread to feed off of. We can feast at the table of our king every day. We live well as God's people if we're open to God's protection and provision. And then he says this, so no one can harm it. So I've said if, if, if something touches our lives, it has to pass through the loving hands of God first. And if God allows that to happen, it's because God has some greater purpose in mind for allowing it. Trust me, God says. Keep your stability and security and surety and settledness in me. As we sang about, I'm your rock. I love you. Put your feet on me. I'm the God of great reversals. I can take those monsters and get rid of them. Remove them, and you've got to trust me to care for you. I mean, Jesus talked to his followers about this. He says, guys and gals, why are you always so worried and anxious living your lives? Don't you know that your father knows when a bird drops from the tree and falls to the ground and Jesus looks at them and says don't you realize you're of much greater value to your father than that bird if God takes care of the birds and of the lilies of the field and of all this don't you think God's going to take care of you stop being anxious stop worrying and trust me God says I've got you like nothing or no one else can Find your stability and security in me. God doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 6, God says the time is coming when Jacob will take root. In other words, Israel will plant themselves in their God once and for all, and they will flourish because of it. That's the hope for Israel that one day as a nation, they will flourish, they will bloom like never before. But guess what, folks? Again, for you and I today, we can flourish right here and now. We don't have to wait for the future. We can plant ourselves in our God right now. And by planting ourselves in him, we can be as firm and stable and secure as anyone ever could be. In this world in fact keep your finger in Isaiah 27 I love these couple verses and go over to the book of Colossians chapter 2 Colossians chapter 2 if you're not familiar with these verses I'd encourage you to read these verses study these verses memorize these verses They're a great exhortation to us as God's people, especially where we are thinking about where do I stand as a person of God in a world of shifting sand? Well, God tells us, stand on me. There's no more secure place. Plant yourself once and for all in me. Put your roots down deep in me. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. I hope that you all have done that. I hope there was a time in your life where you opened up your heart and received Christ Jesus as your Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Notice what Paul said. You can't stop at salvation. That's just the beginning. Continue to live your lives in him and through him. How do we do that? Rooted and built up in him, and firm in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's not enough just to receive Christ. We've got to be rooted in Christ. Firm. That's where our stability is. Not just in trusting him to take care of our monsters, <laughs> our serpents, our dragons. Our giants, not only trusting him to care for us, but trusting that there's no more firmer soil, no more solid ground that we could ever put ourselves in than God himself and in his word. That's where our stability is. Not in our circumstances, not in our situation. Years ago, One of my spiritual mentors told me something to encourage me that I've never forgotten. I've passed it on to others throughout the years, including the leaders, especially here at the Oasis through the years. And that was this advice that he gave me. He said, Jeff, as a pastor, you take care of the depth of your ministry and God will take care of the breadth. That's true. I don't worry about how big... Our ministry is and how many people we're reaching and trying to get more people to come that's not my primary motivation what I wake up every day wanting to do is to go deeper with Jesus Christ and the, the, the more I take care of the depth of my ministry the more I feel like you all will benefit from that and the more than you benefit from going deeper God will take care of the breath. God will take care of how many people's lives we touch and all of that. That's up to God. You just take care of the depth and God will take care of the breath. Plant yourself in the Lord and God will bring people to you to show them this is how it's done. Go deep. Go deep. Then back to Isaiah. One other one, at the end of chapter 27 and verse 12, God then also says, at that time, my people, oh, the Lord's going to shake the tree. (laughs) What's that mean? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that one day there's a shaking that's coming. God's going to shake things so hard that everything temporary, everything that's not permanent, that's not eternal, is going to be shaken out. And only that which is eternal and found in him is going to last. And then the writer of Hebrews says, because we have been given an unshakable kingdom, oh, let's praise our God and thank him that, that he's given us and allowed us to be part of something that cannot be shaken, no matter how hard It's shaken. God says the same thing to his people, Israel. He says, at that time, the Lord's going to shake the tree from the Euphrates River to the stream of Egypt. Then you will be gathered up one by one. God's going to gather his people and notice, everyone matters to God, one by one. And he says, at that time, a large or great trumpet is going to be blown And the ones lost in the land of Assyria will come as the refugees in the land of Egypt. And what's God's purpose behind all of this regathering, all of this work, all of this saving? What's God's purpose behind it? What's it all pointing to? The worship of God. Notice, they will worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. Ooh. Do you know if you know the Lord, one day you're going to be a part of that worship service? That's going to be a worship service like no worship service we've ever been a part of. And then we're going to go into the kingdom and worship him like we've never worshipped him for a thousand years on earth. And then we're going to go in and worship him throughout all of eternity. And you know why God puts such an emphasis on worship? because nothing stabilizes and strengthens us and and makes us feel secure and sure like worshiping our God, like putting him in his rightful place, like exalting him and magnifying him. The bigger our God is, the larger our God is, the better off we are. Worship. The God of great reversals. I can take care of the monsters in your life, God says. Will you trust me to do it? I can take care of you and all of your needs. I'll protect you and provide for you like nothing or no one else can. Will you trust me to do it and find your stability and security in me? Will you finally plant yourself once and for all in me like never before and find that there's nothing more secure or stable than going deeper and deeper in me? And will you live a life of worship? Will you develop a lifestyle of worship? Because nothing will bring more stability and security and surety and subtleness in your life that when you wake up every day and you make it a priority to worship your God. By the way, this word worship that's used here in Isaiah is the most often Hebrew word used for worship in the Old Testament. There's about four or five. This one's used way more than any others. And you know what it literally means? It literally means to bow down. To bow down before the Lord. What's that say to us then about worship? It says three things that I would like to remind us all of this morning. One, it reminds us that true worship Is humility before God true worship is humility the greater God gets in our eyes and in our hearts the more humble it should make all of us humble the second thing this word speaks to us about then is surrender I bow before you, God, because I've come to understand that you, my God, know better than I do. And instead of me continuing to try to lead my own life and figure things out on my own, I'm going to totally start relying and depending upon you because you always know better than me. And I'm going to relinquish leadership of my life over to you, and I'm going to turn everything over to you, God. Surrender. But also, obviously, it means one more thing, and that is a physical response. Bowing down is a physical response. Yes, worship is a heart response. We know that. We've been taught that. Nicole talks about that all the time and models that for us. We have to come with a heart response to God, but it can't be just a heart response. A heart that has been moved by God also moves our body because God connects our heart with our body and actually places our heart within our body. And if the heart is moved, the body will move. And that's exactly what God is saying here. That's why worship is singing and bowing down before the Lord, and kneeling before God, and raising hands, and all of these things. It's being so overwhelmed and overcome by the greatness and goodness of the God who has reversed my eternal fortune in my life and who's going to reverse uh, my fortune for all of eternity to come and who can be the reversal of my fortune even now that my goodness, am I not moved enough to somehow not just give a heart response to God but also give a physical response to God as well. They will come one day and they will worship me on this holy mountain in Jerusalem. What a day that's going to be. But folks, you and I don't have to wait till that day. Those of us who are part of his kingdom now can also be part of worshiping him as our king right now. We don't have to wait. And we can find our stability and our security and our surety and our subtleness right now by trusting our God and living in that hope that he and his word gives to us just as he was trying to give it to his people. Right now, they were hopeless. They were living in despair and discouragement. They were in exile. And God saying, I know the plans I have for you. They are not plans to harm you. They are plans to prosper you. I have plans for you for a future filled with hope trust me, look beyond your present circumstances to what I'm getting ready to do. Do we believe in the God of great reversals today? And will you allow him to do what only he can do in your life today? And that is bring about a reversal of fortune that you and I could never do on our own that no other human being has the power to do, that nothing of this world has the power to do, but only our God has the power to bring about that reversal. Will you let him do that today? Maybe it's a monster that's existed in your life and you just keep living in the shadow of that monster. Let God take that monster out of your life today. Let him reduce that monster Trust God to care for you, to protect you, to provide for you like you've never done it before. Put yourself down deep in your God and sink those roots down deeper and deeper every day and live a life of worship. You and I have an opportunity here in just a few minutes to respond to God and what he's doing in our life and how he's moving through worship. May it not just be a heart response. May it be a physical response as well. May it be surrender. May it be thankfulness. May it be humility that we bring before our God. I'm going to ask our worship team to come now. And I'm going to ask us as they come, would you please stand with me? I truly believe. That God is present in this place and his power is available to bring about a life change in your life today. That he can reverse something. That you've been going down this path or, or dealing with this and God says, trust me today to take care of that and to bring about that great reversal that only I can bring about. I believe God wants to do that today. And God can do that today if we believe in him. Would you trust God today to bring about that great reversal? And as we worship him, may we worship him with everything we've got, responding to him, bowing before him, heart-wise and with our body. Father God, Would you take us, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you? And God, may we come before you realizing, Lord, that there's no one like you. There's no one like you, God. No one or nothing compares to you. You're incomparable. And Lord, I pray today that you have become so big so large, so great in our eyes today, God, through our worship and through our time in your word, that God will trust you with our lives like we've never trusted you before, that we will sink our roots into you like we've never done before, that we will trust you to take care of the monsters in our life like never before, because one day all those monsters, including death itself, is going to be destroyed. And only you can do it, God. But God, we have an opportunity also to respond to you in worship. And may our worship God truly be a reflection of the way you're moving in our hearts this morning. Whether it be, Lord, that some may want to come here and bow before you, Lord. Maybe they want to sit at their place. Maybe they want to raise hands. They want to lift their voices, whatever it is. But God, may our whole being be engaged with you, God. From the hairs on our head to the bottom of our feet, everything in between, God, may we be fully engaged with you as we sing to you and as we sing about you right now. And may you do something in our life, Lord, that lasts forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.